Good morning. Highly tech here, so all I can do is mess it up and then I'm going to go home. Good to be with you. And this is working finally. Thank you, Pam, for wanting to go down. And first, I'd like to give a greeting, so I'll let you go ahead and read. Okay, I'll try to keep it really brief. But during worship, it, first of all, since we've been married, I've always let Wolfie do the talking here, even though it's my home church, okay? <laughs> yeah, our home church. I grew up here from, I think we started attending full time since I was in fifth grade, and now I'm half a decade old. So, um, anyway, thank you so very much for supporting us in prayer, in unbelievable ways, the secretaries of this church, the pastors, and all of the individuals, we are still very appreciative. Thank you. I could go on and on, but I want to get to the things that came on my heart during worship. When I came in this morning, I felt so hazy in my, in my whole being, hazy just like it was outside. And during worship, thank you, worship team, by the way, I felt like I was awakened or brought to life. And it was just the theme for me during worship was God is our eternal living God. He's alive. And then later on in the worship time, it was even a phrase in one of the songs, you are the living God or something like that. I just wanted to emphasize that. And then I have a few little random things that came to mind. So that was random one. There's another random thing. It ties in a bit with what also Bruce, Pastor Bruce, shared about who do we go to to be satisfied by. And the tip, it's two kind of tied together. I'm still parenting actively. And it's always a little bit uh, awesome or something. To, it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility to share a tip about something I'm still doing. I'm not an expert on in any means. It's something I'm still growing in. But the tip is this. It's something I heard as a parent. I heard it before I was even married. And it made such an impression on me. And it has been so helpful as a parent, and I will pass it on to you because I feel old enough to know that I can do that. Um, it was Darlene Cunningham spoke on parenting years and years ago. I don't have the notes. I can't quote her verbatim, but basically it's this. As a parent, you have a responsibility, and it doesn't come with a handbook. But one guiding thing for me has been very helpful. What she shared was, what do you want to teach your children? So set yourself goals there. Just like you have a business plan or other things, put them out there, your family values. What do you want your children, what do your children need to be prepared for life? Okay, it's not the school's responsibility. It's not the government, it's ours. So what are your goals? And this is the thing. With human development, the way the stages we learn and grow in, you need to do that when they're young. 
Okay, the first six years of a child's life is when their worldview is formed. That's like what psychologists and human developmentalists teach. Christian and non, that's pretty much what they have learned. That means that is, those are the years when you learn how to deal with all their emotions, fear, anticipation, joy, thankfulness, love, acceptance of ourselves, acceptance of others. How do we perceive God? How do we perceive our father? How do we perceive our mother? How do we handle stress? How do we handle anger? How do we handle disappointment? Those things we learn in our first six years. Then the other thing is, anything you want to teach them, make sure you really do it purposely before they turn 12. If you wait till then, you're too late. Now, because of God, we're never too late. But do it in those early years because in the ages of 12 to 14 is when the development of having the ability to really think logically, that's when that starts to happen. That's why you don't have things like debate teams until later in school. Teach them logic from a very young child. Give them the reasons for everything. Answer those million why questions. Okay. That, the last little random thing, which comes back again to what Bruce was saying about who do we go to to satisfy our needs. And this is not anything to put guilty on people if you struggle in this area. But and I'm not going to advocate a parenting style. But one of the greatest things you can give your children, I believe, as a parent, is to teach them self-control. And there are parenting styles that do not cater to that at all. And there are other parenting styles that are overly controlling and critical. Um, but however you do it, look for ways to let your children learn self-control. Because we're faced with, there's a study called the Marshmallow Study. You can Google it. It's great. It's a short video clip. It will explain the study that scientists did many years ago. Marshmallow Study. Okay, I'm not going to tell you about it. Just Google it. It's about self-control. And in this day and age where we have choices beyond comprehension, where we have to learn to say no so many more times than we can let ourselves say yes to sugar, to enter, you know, electronic stuff, technology to forms of employment. Self-control will be an amazing, amazing gift you can teach your kids. If you're like me, or if you're an older teen, all of you kids in here 12 years or older, do a Bible study on self-control and learn about it yourself, okay? Your parents might not have taught you well enough. They might have done a great job, whatever. 
I encourage you to do a Bible study on self-control because I believe it will help you in your employment in life, in your relationships in life, and it is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So, those are my random thoughts, random ramblings from Chris. Thank you so much for standing with us all these years. I am overwhelmed by your faithfulness. And I love the gifts uh, of purpose. What do you call it? Acts of purpose. Purposeful acts of kindness. Thank you. I love that. Bless you in that. And as you bless this community, thank you. Okay. I think next time we have this, we can be after. She's probably an older, I love that. Half a century old, yes, and I'm not there yet. And Benjamin, you'll get to know Uncle Benjamin. I hope. Well, good morning again, and thanks for sharing your heart. And Chris and kids, can you start passing out or fast? Um, this goes with the message. Uh, you know, those who heard me before, you can have something that you have to take away. So we'll have again something different this morning. So take one of those seeds and also take, you can pass into the rows and take one of those cards if you want. You don't have to take a card. Um, that's a whole different thing. But make sure you take a seed at least, okay? There's all kinds of different seeds. They're a little smelly. They're not to be eaten. So children, do not put them in your mouth. Okay, really important. If you have some kind of, I don't know, instant or not instant flavor in your mouth. Popery, that's exactly, that's the word. Thank you, Bruce. So yeah, really a big thank you to your faithfulness in keeping us well while we're overseas in Hungary. That's where we lived for the last four years. Before that, we were in Bulgaria, 13 years in Russia, Albania, Central Asia, South Africa. It's our life. We love it. And at times we struggle with it. Not anybody struggles probably in the current job employment or in any circumstance. It's just normal part of human living. So, big thank you. You're so faithful in giving to us and praying for us. And what else can I say but thank you? I want to share a little bit of an update and give you a bit of a picture of why we're doing what we're doing because we used to be really involved in grassroots ministry in missions. All the disciples that expected it. And a few years ago, the Lord started putting something on our hearts that really was a big shift eventually, and we didn't quite anticipate how big the shift was going to be. And that is to step back from the main stage, so to speak, and support those and strengthen those who are on the front lines in ministry. Because we could see some of these things um, of, that are typical mission statistics. I didn't come up with those. You can Google them and see how, how the reality looks like people going onto the mission field, and because of the challenges of living overseas, but culturally developing ministry, you know, missionaries are just people like you and I. Um, we're not more spiritual. We don't struggle less. We're not less tempted. We have developmental issues. We have children that need schooling. Um, we all need to be fed. 
we probably probably the same thing as we do in, on a daily basis, except in a different quite helpful context. And that has a certain amount of stress. And all those things combined end up with these kinds of statistics. And that's not a pretty picture, is it? You probably find a similar statistic for how many pastors leave the ministry um, in these high ranges as well. And that tells us something that there's something going on that is probably not all of God. And when we start seeing some of these effects in our own lives, we see it in colleagues that we work with, we see those people in other countries, then we thought we have to spend there's something else we need to start developing that hopefully helps in preventatively. The missionaries, leaders, staff can be out there longer and last longer and healthier, and all that's been invested into them, they can continue to give out the moment. I don't have to read this. If you'd like a copy of this PowerPoint, just give me an email. You can sign up at the end there. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. Yep. This is our desire. This truly is our desire. I'd love to see any missionary, anywhere, anytime, if they need personal support, that they would know I can email or call somebody, wherever they are that might be, and process some of my challenges with them in a very personal and effective way. To not get stuck, to break through, to find encouragement, to have clear steps forward. So my family is better, I'm better, my team is better, and what I'm called to can really continue to grow and serve. You know how it is when somebody spends some time with you and encourages you when you're feeling stuck or you're discouraged with your work or situation, but you have somebody to talk to, it makes a huge difference. And missionaries tend to be a bit more isolated often. They can't just find somebody right around them. Or sometimes you can't even talk to your teammates because maybe your challenge is with them. So who do you go to? You probably can't go anywhere. And that's more and more what we started to develop. And so this is still part of the update here. When we started doing it in 2008, we're still living in Bulgaria, and word spread very naturally, and people started asking, can you work with us? Yes, some time. And so it started growing, and in 2009, we started a partnership with another ministry in order to not reinvent the wheel. No need for that. So we started talking with Coaching Mission International and started a training for leaders in order for mission leaders to provide this kind of support to leaders that they know on the mission field. And so you could see, within a couple of years, it started affecting a lot more missionaries in a lot more nations. And this has been really amazing for us to see that something so simple, it's a small little seed really what we have, can go so much further and multiply. And your giving allows this to happen. It wouldn't happen otherwise. So we started every year, we started a training with another small group of leaders in Europe. That's where we live. And that's why you see a big concentration of missionaries being served in Europe at this stage. And 2012 started out in Asia as well. 2013, also in North America. 
but it's now a permanent thing like this in North America. Focus is also on the same thing on providing coach specific training for mission leaders that they can serve their leadership staff on the field more effectively. And the results, the fruit of that is so encouraging, and all we can do is go glory to God. You just have something small to give, and you give it in your imperfection, and God can multiply it. Oh, there we go. Connection left, please. <laughs> That's a good way. So, big ways with me here this morning. Um, seeing this, yeah, what God has given you, giving trust, giving to others, that is really multiplied. And it, and it affects the nation. So, currently, we're serving missionaries in 61 nations. And that's not me or church. That's a group of people that have been trained. And that's really amazing. In such a short period of time, missionaries in 61 countries have been served. And I think they're healthier. And if I go to my notes, then I'll be more free to know what I'm really good for There we go. There's been so far 100, over 150 leaders have been trained or are in training, and they're all primarily mission-focused leaders, active in ministry themselves, and they're bringing this kind of support to their own leaders. Um, we had a report back a couple of years ago, well, actually, just about a year ago now, and 25 of the leaders who were being trained, they have been serving 240 missionaries already at the time, in nine different languages. And, and that's just really the beginning. And that to me was really amazing to see that happen. And now we're at a place with probably close to over 500 leaders being served. And that's, again, what your giving is making possible. We'll be now at slide number, I don't have slide number three. I'll find it first. <laughs> Thank you very much. So this is where we're currently at. We're now in the past 12 courses that we've done so far, and we're seeing others taking on these courses as well. So again, it's just multiplying. That's been really, really a wonderful thing to see happen. And you can see where concentration is right now. And we're hoping these yellowish areas They'll be kind of our next focus areas in these next years to come. And we're hoping to see permanent training happening every year or every other year. For example, I'm working right now with a leader from the Middle East. Middle East, often in the news, it's a very needy area for the gospel. There's a lot of church planting happening that's very challenging because with church planting comes persecution. And so we're hoping to get the training out there because then the church planters can be supported and make such huge steps that they need to face on a daily basis with their families. So Asia is another place where we don't have a permanent location yet, and obviously South Latin America is another big area. We're hoping eventually, maybe next time, I don't know, in two years, we'll back, um, give you an update on how it's coming into those places. I hope so. These are the effects of your giving, of this ministry. I already mentioned that. You can imagine when you're stressed out as a person, your family's stressed out, you're maybe schooling challenges with your kids, then what? 
anything like that affects you and how effective your own ministry will work. It's the same for anyone who's not in ministry, right? There's really no distinction before God in ministry or you're in a regular job. Wherever we are, it's ministry. So let's not make an unhelpful distinction between the two as if one was more important than the other. But if you go with stress from home to work, you're less productive. Missionaries, pastors, evangelists, whoever, farmers, teachers, doctors, the stress that affect us, things that we struggle with, influence how fruitful we are in our witness and in our work that we're talking, no matter where we're serving. And coaching is such a beautiful way, a simple way of coming alongside. It's very much like you look at the story of Barnabas and Paul, you see a difference of Paul eventually taking more and more of a lead and Barnabas stepping more and more into the background. And eventually, actually, just appearing entirely because he started working not with Paul, but with John Mark. And coaching, in a sense, is a kind of a ministry. You work with others who are upfront a lot. You strengthen them in their calling, you encourage them, you pray with them, and they find courage and hope to continue on and not let the discouragement and challenges hold them down. And so that's what we're doing. And that's what you can get into. And because of time, I'll skip this. But you're welcome to get this come up and you get more details. So these are the seeds of what you're sowing into financially in your prayer with your encouragement to us and others. And they're initially small, and then they grow and produce a harvest. Don't ever underestimate your giving. Don't underestimate what you're ministering or how you're ministering to others. In the second part of this morning, I'll be going a little bit more into an aspect of how Jesus ministered. So, you have these seeds, and I feel really free this morning to mention to you that, yes, we are actually personally in a need financially. Not like we're starving, not like we can't go back unless we did, etc., etc. No joke trips. Because we need to know if you're supposed to give or not. This is something only that's between all the city and and God. We've had supported stuff out in the last couple of years, and that's a normal part of life. People die, people can't economically, people lose their jobs. So it's normal for us as well to support it through a church, through individuals, some churches that we see our support go up and down. And we're currently in a place where we would like to make this need known. And if you feel a calling from the Lord to stand with us with a one-time gift or become a regular partner and to love or Chris would love to talk with you or you can fill out the card that he gave you. But no guilt trips here. We'll continue doing what the Lord has called us to do because he is faithful. You can imagine after yeah, Chris being in mission since 82, my class is 87. We're alive, the kids are growing, they're healthy, they're strong, they're mentally fit, emotionally well. God is really faithful. So this is not if you don't do it. Well, you. Okay? No kill trips. But this is where we truly are. And if you have an interest in this, if it resonates with me, I'd love to do it. Please let us know. 
You can email us. You can talk to us. It's been here for a couple of weeks. If you want to check us out, we can first thing with you. We'd love to do that. It's always more we can share and also share from you and get to know you. So, but we just want to make this known in a simple way and leave that in your hands with the Lord. So, would you consider that partnering with us, praying on a regular basis? You can sign up for the newsletter. You can connect us to other missionaries who might need this. You say, yeah, I know people on the field are having a hard time, and they might really benefit from talking with somebody on a regular basis to work through those challenges. Let us know so we can connect them to others who are doing what we're doing. Now, main part. This is something that really is, for me, not something where I'm an expert. Being present. This is something, in what I do, I've become so aware of how important it is that I, when I'm with an individual in a conversation, it could be just in the church lobby for that reason, but when I'm coaching a person one-on-one, it is so important that I'm fully there, that they have my full attention. But it's not just about coaching for me, it's really about can I learn to be present and attentive to anyone I meet anytime. And the biggest challenge to me, I say right now, is really with my own family. Because there's history, right? We have our tensions, we have our conflicts at times, or misunderstandings. And in those moments for me to learn to tune myself out and tune in and what's actually going on and not make a sense it's probably my biggest challenge. My kids and Chris, they know that. The experience of just the other day, and I had a little one of our back and forth. And I was glad that he was a bit more tuned in to my reality than I was into his. And I could see yeah, what he was saying, he was certainly correct and not myself. But being present, that is my challenge. I wanted to take you with you on my learning journey here for a bit and look at how Jesus does it. I appreciate how Jesus sent it to work with us this morning. So we write in. So in John 8, we hear the story of a woman caught in adultery being brought to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the crowd are ready to stone her. It's pretty drastic. And what does Jesus do in that moment? So let's read from John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to rise on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let one or any one of you who is without him be the first to throw a stone at him. Again he stood down and rose on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, 
the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life to me. And this is amazing. This woman would have been killed according to what the law required. And Jesus had this amazing ability in a tense moment to do something that I wish I do more frequently in tense situations. And that is to fully tune in to what is going on. And there's probably three main things going on here. And it's as simple as he tunes things out and he tunes in. And he pauses before he responds. And that's what I want to emphasize to you this morning, what I'm learning about that kind of a simple approach to being present. Because it makes a huge difference. If I'm present with you, or you're present with me when we have a conversation, then nothing else matters. I like that time. What matters is you, your agenda. And so I'm going to look at some of those dynamics with you. And we all, I think, probably would like to know what Jesus wrote in the sand or in the ground. Nobody had iPhones, not if you got pictures of that, you know. And if you go on Twitter, really crazy, look what Jesus wrote today. And don't have that, so we'll be guessing until we can ask him in eternity who knows what he did. It was a cartoon, you know? There's three kinds of voices in the sense. There are the voices of the Pharisees in the crowd. It's all that external noise that we hear. And it's this noise. And in this context, it has to do with life and death. With, she broke the rule. She's guilty. But it's life and death issues, isn't it? And we can hear that something from the outside, right? In our lives, we hear accusing kind of thoughts. We meet a person and we hear them struggling, and we might hear internally some of those voices or they tell us what others have said. And it can be that kind of external noise. And Jesus is able to tune that out in order to tune in of what is really important. So we have the Pharisees there in the crowd. And then, of course, we have the voice of the woman, not this woman, but, and it's, you think about it, in that situation, the woman saying nothing. So from her, there's a silence. Because she's been silent. She feels shame. She feels guilty. She's accused. She's probably fearing for her life because the law requires it to be strong. It could be innocent. But she doesn't know how much longer she has. So she hears all the trials and hears the accusations. And she's left with that. And Jesus is able to tune all the external out and also tune into this woman. And put the agenda of the crowd and the Pharisees aside and tune into who this person is and see how valuable and precious she is to God. 
and that shapes his response. So, this is from the movie. Jesus lies in the ground. So, I'm not sure exactly what he does at that time because I we don't have a record in the scriptures of it. We can only imagine that he does what he always did, and that is speak to his father. And that's the tuning in. And it's hard to tune into God, into what really is going on, and we also tune into what's going on in us. So tuning out the external, tuning into what is the father's tuning? What's his perspective? How does he see this woman? Let's put the agenda aside and what's really important here. What would be the life-giving thing to stay or to do? Rather than going with what the crowd says. He has real empathy with this woman. Hebrews tells us that Jesus identifies with our weaknesses. And he's been tempted in all things as we have. There is something where He's able to come to an equal playing ground for everybody. There's the Pharisees, there's the women. Yeah, maybe they didn't commit adultery. He did. But they have their pride issues. You don't get stoned for pride, but it's no worse than adultery. And he creates an amazing level playing field for all the guilty. Not just this woman. It's no longer polarized. She's worse. It's he who is without sin for the first time. And somewhere he's able to enter so much into connection with his father that right there he finds what the truth is, what the response should be, both to the Pharisees as well as to the woman. And it changes everything. That ability to be fully there with the Lord, with the crowd, and yet tune out what is not from God. Tune into the woman and be clear and not lower a standard for her. As he says, sin no more. But he gives a whole, whole new life. I'd love to know what happened with this woman afterwards. Because she had a whole fresh life. He met love and grace in action right there. Jesus had his ability to tune fully into the Father. He's fully present, not ignoring, but quiet and calming the mind, hearing clearly. So, for you and I, How can we learn this, right? I'm sure some of you can identify, you probably know some of how easy it is to ignore. You see some signal on my children, on my wife, or I can be at the dinner table and we're having conversations, but I can't be a thousand miles away. I can still be in my head or heart at work. Thinking something through that I'm preparing life with message. And I don't hear what they're saying. And that happens at times. I don't think you feel what I said. Not so good. And so it's a, it's a discipline, moment to moment, that when I enter a conversation, I am with a different person, I am with my family, or I am with another mission leader on the phone, 
but to put everything else aside and make them as the person the agenda. They have my full attention. Nothing else would matter. Except maybe my barking dog because it will really distract me at home. I have to walk out of the office and excuse me. You can let the dog out if it's possible. <laughs> so what do we do in order to be abiding with the Father, to be fully attentive, to tune in, to be there with the other person, being with, being alert, being engaged. This is something Jesus does all the time. It's something we know when you read through the scriptures, it so often says that, and God was with Moses, or Joshua, or David, and so on. Now he has that because he's done, right? That's for him, natural. To us, it's not so natural. And we can't be everywhere all the time, like God being omnipresent. But He is calling us to bring this kind of a gift of our full presence to the people that we encounter on a daily basis at work, family, strangers, colleagues, friends. It's important because God is present, and His presence through His Spirit is in us. So if we're fully present with another, we're actually creating this room where God can invade that space through us. And if we're in that moment in tune with Him, then we get a sense as well of what is really important right now. So we can be there and bring that hope and encouragement to the person that we're across from. How do we do it? The main thing I believe is learning silence. Learning to be silent forever silence. We live in a world that's extremely distracting. It's full of noises, and sometimes when we have a quiet moment and we turn music on, or we get a reminder from Facebook, or Twitter, or who knows what, an email message, a ping, and a bong, and a tweet, tweet, and a who knows what all. And we get so distracted, and we lose focus consistently and constantly. And it's learning the value of silence. Because in silence, we actually can use the silence. This is what happened to Elijah. You remember he was running from Jezebel, freaking out, very depressed as well. And he meets God, not by his love, but in the wisdom. And if we're not able to learn and treasure and create time, it will be difficult to tune in. It will be difficult to hear what the Lord is saying. So I want to encourage you, turn off those distractions. And be present with yourself. So turn it all off, all that noise, the internal conversations you have with yourself that might be, you're bad, you're not worthy, I can, God can use you if you were just a better, holier person. The shame that we sometimes feel. Turn it off and tune into what God is saying. Because He loves you. That you hear Him in that whisper, I love you. And let that make a difference. Tune into what Jesus is doing to you. And it doesn't take hours. 
day by day, and we're often not even aware. And I pray that you teach us to reflect you, to live like you, to be present with you and ourselves, and to be present with the people we meet on a daily basis. So you can touch them in word and deed to us. Let us experience your love and to hear your truth. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. We'll be out there if you want to interact. Thanks, guys. Can we say thank you again to Chris and Wendy? Just a couple things again. If, uh, if you would like more information about their ministry, they'd be 